I'm James Butts, Mayor of the City of Inglewood. Welcome to No Butts About It, a podcast meant to provide information about topics of public concern. Today we discuss the coronavirus. I'm joined today by Dr. Barbara Ferrer, the director of the Los Angeles County Department of Health. I think it's really important that we take uh, an opportunity to make sure that people have really good information uh, as we're all working so hard to figure out our way out of this pandemic. And Snoop Dogg, famed actor and recording artist known worldwide. And I just felt like it was informative and we needed to get this direct from people who really care, who really are part of the city of Inglewood, so we can talk to y'all directly. So hopefully you guys will enjoy the information and take it to heart and use it to your advantage. Our candid and informed discussion will benefit the public. Hello, I'm James Butts, Mayor of the City of Inglewood. There's been a lot going on in Inglewood the last five years, but there's been even more going on since March of this year with the COVID-19 pandemic. You've heard a lot, you've had to process a lot, but what we want to do is put together a forum that had people that were informative, people that are respected, to have a discussion so that people could really digest all that's going on. We have Dr. Barbara Ferrer, the director of the LA County Department of Public Health. She's been the director for three and a half years. Also with me is Snoop Dogg, singer, songwriter, media personality, entrepreneur, an actor, and yes, an American rapper. He's one of the most recognizable people in the world. And so today, we're gonna to just have a conversation about COVID-19, its impacts, and what we see for the future. So first of all, Dr. Pereira, could you provide an overview of COVID-19 cases and trends for LA County since the recent spike in cases began? Yeah, thank you so much. And first, I just want to say I'm so honored to be here with Mayor Butts and with Snoop Dogg and, and with all of you. Um, I think it is an important opportunity for us to talk and talk frankly about what's been going on here in our community, but also, you know, really across the world. Uh, the one thing about a pandemic is we're connected to everybody. Wherever we live, wherever we work, we're all connected. And uh, every action we take every day uh, makes a difference. Um, we're either at this point part of a solution to getting us to the other side, or we end up, unfortunately, being the problem. Um, you've seen uh, here in LA County, you know, we have hundreds of thousands of cases. Unfortunately, we're, we're over 200,000 at this point, and these are known cases. These are people who were tested. Most unfortunately, we've also lost uh, over 4,000 people who lived here in LA County. And I think many of you know that this pandemic, unfortunately, uh, has had a disproportionate impact in some of our communities, particularly uh, communities where people are black and brown, uh, communities where people have less income. Uh, we have four times the rate of uh, people dying in communities with high levels of poverty uh, than we have in communities that have very little poverty. Uh, black and brown residents here in LA County are dying at two times the rate of uh, a white residents. Uh, disproportionality is the number one issue uh, that we have to come to grips with and, and have solutions for. Uh, this, this pandemic cannot be on the backs of uh, people of color and of poor people and of low-wage workers who didn't have protections uh, at their jobs. Uh, so, you know, moving forward, we do have to acknowledge that each one of us uh, has a part to play and each one of us can be, as I said, part of 
the strategy for slowing the spread, uh, but we also need to deal with issues around racism and discrimination and how that's playing out uh, in our workplaces in particular. Now you really covered my second question, but I'm just a little bit of follow-up because in America that trend is holds true that yeah. uh, black Americans died about twice the rate of whites from COVID-19. And in Inglewood, our death rate for COVID in the South Bay is one of the highest as well. And we have the highest black and brown population in the South Bay. Are comorbidity factors more prevalent in racial minority groups? And you could explain comorbidity because it seems that people don't die specifically from COVID-19, but it's associated factors. Yeah, that's such a good question, Mayor. Um, you know, first the comorbidities. Uh, comorbidity is really another word for you have some underlying health condition that's serious uh, and can, in fact, with COVID-19 and with some other uh, viruses as well, it can cause you to have a worse, um, uh, it can cause COVID-19 to have a much worse impact on your body. So in particular, people who have issues around heart disease, uh, people who have issues uh, with their lungs, you know, serious asthma, uh, COPD, uh, people have diabetes. It actually turns out that people who are extremely overweight or obese, uh, those are underlying health conditions that should you become sick with COVID-19, you could have what we call a much more serious outcome. As a matter of fact, for everybody who's dying of COVID-19, and, and again, our hearts go out to every single person that's lost somebody uh, to this horrible virus. But for everyone who dies, 92% of the people who pass away are in fact people who have these underlying health conditions. So I think your question is so important because what it really says is, are black and brown people dying at a higher rate because they may also mm -hmm. have more underlying health conditions? And the answer is yes, at least here uh, for sure in LA County and I think across this country, uh, black and brown people do have higher rates of underlying health here in LA County. For almost every disease we track, uh, black residents in LA County uh, have a higher rate of disease and a, high, a higher rate of death associated with that. But what I wanna like make sure is clear is the reason why people have more disease who are black and brown native populations as well uh, is not because their behaviors are so different from the behaviors of people who actually don't have such terrible outcomes. It's because of the conditions in which we're living our lives. Uh, so if you're a black or brown resident, you're much more likely to live in a neighborhood that may have a high rate of air pollution, and you know this certainly. Uh, you maybe have more exposures uh, from hazardous materials because of the factories that are right next to the house you live or the school your children are going to. We've had lead poisoning uh, at massive scales because of battery recycling plants disproportionately affecting communities that have uh, high populations of people of color. Um, and behind all of that disproportionality, you couldn't lose sight of the fact that racism and discrimination, even now, today, uh, determine whether or not you have access to the kinds of resources you need to be healthy. Um, so behind all of this is, do you live in a neighborhood where it's easy to get access to affordable, healthy foods, where you have good housing, where you don't have exposures to dirty air or dirty water? Because uh, that is what really contributes to higher rates of, uh, of poor outcomes in all these other diseases that we're worried about. So, you know, I just, I feel like it's so important that we stop with blaming the people who are suffering the most, as if there's something that they're individually doing uh, that's contributing 
uh, to higher rates of disease, because we know for a fact that that's not true. Uh, we've looked at lots and lots of data, and it's, it's really clear uh, that these systems uh, that oppress people um, based on the color of their skin, mm. based on their yeah. sexual orientation, these are the systems we all have to fight against, because these are the systems that are going to actually end up reducing that disproportionality that we're seeing with COVID-19 and with all these other diseases. Now, now uh, that's a big point. Snoop, now, it is very true that minorities have less access to quality health care than whites. We know that. But what can we do about our dietary habits, particularly as black people as a culture? Because I know you're a workout person. I know you eat properly. Is there a need for us to make a cultural change in the way that we access nutrition to be have longevity? I think the more information that we get based on, you know, why certain family members have diabetes and have genetically been connected to certain illnesses that just run through the family, a lot of it is contributed to eating, the eating habits of what we've been taught to eat and what we've been thinking that's good for us because it mm -hmm. tastes good, but it's really bad for us. And now we're learning the proper way to eat, to find ways of finding better ways to find food without so much disease characteristics connected to it. Red meat, like my mother, she's a diabetic. They had to cut off her big toe and she doesn't eat any red meat anymore. And she had to take insulin for a long time. And my older brother was a diabetic. So when I seen that, I started to like pull back and do things a little different and it missed me, but it hit my mother and my brother. So a lot of this is genetically put on us by the food that we eat, by us not working out, by us just being in a position where we get so comfortable with the way we've been living that that's contributed to the negative results of us having bad health issues. So if we could eat better, we could work out a little bit and just do a little bit more research on the food that you are eating and find ways to, to find better food. There's plant-based food that's out now. There's food that doesn't have you know, animalistic characteristics in it to where you're not taking from an animal, you're getting plant-based food. So that is another way to better, you know, fight this and to have a, a mechanism of defense against this, in my mind. Mm -hmm. now, now, Doctor, you know, one of the things that's uh, overrepresented in Black and Hispanic populations is the, the occurrence of diabetes. Is that directly correlated, in your opinion, to diet intake of sugar, breads, things that break down? easily into sugar? Yeah, I mean, I think Snoop has a really good point, which is, you know, we, we are all, you know, part of our history. Um, and, and there is uh, some evidence that suggests that, um, you know, if there's a family history of, of diabetes, you really need to pay attention to what you personally can do um, to make sure that uh, you are taking every precaution um, that you need to take. But I also want to acknowledge that um, some of us have an easier time being able to eat healthy foods and being able to exercise because we live in places where it's pretty easy to do that. And we have enough money to be able to do that. You can go to a gym, you, can, uh, you live in a neighborhood where it's safe to go outside and take a run or take a walk. Uh, your children can go to a playground and get their exercise and physical activity there. So while we all need to really work hard to say, what can I do about my own habits um, because I know there's diabetes in my family. Uh, we all have to also come together and fight for the fact that, you know, nobody should live in an area where it's hard to get access to healthy food and where you can't afford healthy food and where there's not safe places for children to play and to exercise. 
so I think we have to do both. Mm -hmm. We have to like focus on what we can do, and then we have to focus on the fact that we need to make being able to do that right thing, being able to take care of yourself and your family, an easy thing to do because there aren't a lot of barriers, uh, because it's not too expensive, because it doesn't exist in the area or the community where I live. I totally agree. And that, that usually is the issue when you speak to solutions. There are great solutions, but they don't fit the area or the people that need it the most. So how can we find a, a fine medium to where it becomes easy access for them to have the things to live better? Yeah, that's an important part of the conversation. Now, but to put the um, disease in the perspective is it's danger. In cases per hundred or cases per thousand, what's the number of people that are infected and recover from COVID-19? That's a really good question about sort of who's recovering from COVID-19 and are we really even tracking that? Uh, you know, from our perspective, uh, people recover from COVID-19 when they don't pass away. Um, and so the vast majority of people here in LA County who have been sick with COVID-19 have in fact gotten better uh, and survived. But I think recover means different things to different people. Mm. One thing we're learning right now is a whole bunch of people, uh, they didn't die, but they've been sick for a very long time. Uh, and it's taking some people a very long time to feel like themselves again, mm -hmm. uh, months. I mean, we're hearing story after story of, of people who in fact are getting better, but it's a very slow road to recovery. Um, I do wanna give some numbers just for what's mm -hmm. going on here in LA County. Cause I think sometimes, uh, you know, we, we talk a lot of people with underlying health conditions at higher risk, people who are older at higher risk, all that's true. But for all of the younger people, I wanna note that almost 500 people in LA County under the age of 40 have died from COVID-19. And that's the most extreme horrific outcome from this virus is death. Um, but I wanna note, like when people say like, oh, it doesn't really affect us. We're young, we're basically healthy. You know, uh, that's not true. Uh, we've lost a lot of young people uh, to COVID-19. Uh, and among those young people who died from COVID-19 or younger people are people who don't have any underlying health conditions. So no one should think like, oh, this virus will not affect me. I'm not in that high risk group because unfortunately, there are lots of people who aren't in the high-risk group, but when you talk about 4,000 deaths and 92% uh, of people may have underlying health conditions, but 8% don't, and that's a very big number. And it includes people um, from all places uh, and all walks of life here in LA County. Uh, but for younger people, I think it's important for them to understand, like you too could be at risk. Uh, and the most important thing is right now, 60% of all of the cases uh, in LA County are happening among people who are under the age of 50. Mm -hmm. So that means the people who are giving everyone else COVID-19, the people who are transmitting this virus, predominantly younger people. So maybe older people more likely to die because they are, 75% of people who die are gonna be older over the age of 65, but it's younger people who are making them sick. Uh, and it's not intentional. Like no one's walking around saying, I'm trying to get other people sick. But 50% of people, as high as, as many as 50% of people who are infected may not know they're infected because at the moment they don't have symptoms, but they're able to give that virus to someone else. I have a question. Sure. Can you get COVID-19 more than once? 
It's a great question, Snoop. Uh, and we don't have a definitive answer yet. Um, you know, with other viruses, we, we usually say, certainly in the short term, uh, you're going to develop immunity. You're going to have some antibodies. You're not going to get sick again. Uh, we think that at least for a few months, that may be true for COVID-19, uh, but the evidence is not conclusive. We have stories of people who say, uh, who test. They tested positive a few months ago at the very beginning of the pandemic. Then they tested negative. Uh, then they were asymptomatic. And then a few months later, they test positive again. And it's unclear whether that's still a virus that was circulating from before uh, and you're not really able to infect other people because it's uh, sort of particles of the virus mm -hmm. or whether you've actually gotten sick again. So what I tell people is this is a new virus. We don't know everything we, should, we need to know about it at all right now because we don't know for sure that being infected once means you won't get infected again. Uh, you have to still take precautions. Right. So let's take a deeper dive into uh, testing and prevention. Uh, we're still talking about exposure though. Uh, you used a great term uh, that not everybody understands. So could you briefly discuss asymptomatic carriers, what that means? But more importantly, if I am asymptomatic and I find out from a test that I am a carrier, how would I determine what my exposure was? Yeah, it's, those are such good questions, Mayor. <laughs> and they're hard. They're hard questions. So asymptomatic really means you have no symptoms. Um, but it doesn't mean you're not infected. Mm. And, and unfortunately, at the very beginning of this pandemic, uh, people like me didn't know that, the scientists didn't know that, and we didn't tell people uh, that you had to worry about the fact that you could infect somebody else even if you have no symptoms. But we're crystal clear about that now. And in some places, when we test people, the majority of people who are testing positive are people with no symptoms. Mm. Uh, so it's really, really important that people understand just what you said, is you could have no symptoms and test positive, and you're just as capable of infecting somebody else as a person who has symptoms and tests positive. So just because you don't have symptoms and then you test positive doesn't mean you get a pass. Like, I'm not really sick. I don't have to do anything. Every single person that tests positive has to isolate themselves from other people for at least 10 days from the day you either first got your symptoms or you took your test. Uh, even if you have no symptoms, you still need to stay away from everyone else for those 10 days. And the reason is because for those 10 days, you are very capable of infecting someone else. And so that brings us to, so when should someone self-quarantine or self-isolate? And how long would that be? Because if you got the test, you don't know how long you've been infected. So what would the be that quarantine period? Yeah, so that's why, so there, So one thing we talk about, you know, these are very jargony terms, but in public health, we talk about two different things. Isolating, and that's if you're positive and you, you know you're infected. And then we're, I'm gonna talk in a minute about quarantining. Uh, they both mean you have to not be around other people, but we use the terms a little bit differently because like you noted, the timeframes are a little different. Mm -hmm. If I'm positive, the date that my, I have to start counting at needing to isolate uh, is from the first day I got sick. I had any symptoms. If you have no symptoms and you tested positive, which is for a lot of people what's going on, you have to isolate from the day you took that test. Mm. So I took the test today. That means from today for 10 days, uh, I, I was infectious. 
So we tell everyone, when you go take that test, you need to start isolating the day you went and took that test, even if you're asymptomatic. If you're testing, you probably think you might have it. So while you're waiting for your test results, do not go around other people because your ability to infect other people uh, actually started before you even had symptoms, but it at least is gonna go forward now for 10 days. Uh, so you need to stay isolated for another 10 days after you either test, got tested and were positive, uh, or the day you developed your symptoms. Now, contact tracing is like the other part of the work we have to do. So that means if I'm infected uh, and I've been in touch with other people in a way that was close contact. So close contact means you're in front of people, uh, you're not wearing your mask, uh, you're not six feet apart for at least 15 minutes. So if I'm positive, I have to think back for 48 hours before I either got my symptoms or I got my tests, and I have to figure out who was I around for those 48 hours, because that's when I was contagious, mm. and that's when I could spread the virus. That's why this virus is so hard to contain, because even if you are now feeling lousy, you actually were infect, able to infect somebody else before you actually had any symptoms, mm. and it's 48 hours before. So we need people, once they test positive, to talk to us and tell us who are all the people you were around uh, for the last 48 hours before you got symptoms or before you got tested. Uh, and then help us make sure we got good information and we can find them. Because if you are a close contact, and this is thousands of people, if you are a close contact, you too need to now take yourself out of being around other people. And the unfortunate thing for close contacts is you gotta do it for 14 days. Why 14 days? Because this virus takes a long time to incubate. Uh, so that means you can get an exposure. You ex I exposed you, Mayor. You now will have to wait hypothetically. a full, a f yeah, hopefully, <laughs> for sure, <laughs> hypothetically. If I exposed you, you're gonna have to wait a full 14 days because this virus can take as long as 14 days to actually show up uh, in your body. Uh, so, and you can't cut corners. People say, ah, I'm gonna go get tested. Barbara, I think Bar Barbara's positive, she exposed me, I'm gonna go get tested. And ah, oh, I tested negative, I'm fine. No, you're not fine for 14 days. So even if you get a negative test, you're still gonna have to stay home, away from everyone else for the full 14 days. Because this virus could show up at any point in your body from the day you got exposed till 14 days later. Does this, well, I hear what you're saying. I, I got it, I'm exposed. I go hang with my grandson, my nephew, four years old, nine years old, 11 years old. Should they be concerned? It's a very good question. So they should be concerned, but they don't need to quarantine uh, because we're not sure that you're positive. What they need to do is they need to watch themselves carefully, take all their precautions. And as you start developing symptoms or you get a test and you test positive during that period of 14 days, then they too are now close contacts and they got to quarantine. It's so hard to understand, but I, I think what's easier to understand is you could see how easy it is for this virus to spread. Mm -hmm. So my suggestion to everyone is you should always act as if at any moment in time, you could be infected and infect others, and that every single person you're with 
no matter how good they look, no matter how fine they appear to be, they could affect you because we just don't know. You don't need to be sick to pass on this infection. You don't need to have a single symptom to infect another person. Mm. So it's kind of like universal precautions. And that's why we tell everyone, wear that face mask. When you're out and about, always wear that face mask. It protects another person from your respiratory droplets. Right. And you have no way of knowing if you're infected. So you don't want your respiratory droplets anywhere near anybody else. And you want other people to do the same for you. You want them to wear their face coverings because they care about you. Because uh, that's how we're going to take care of each other. Uh, and for now, this is what we got. We got our face coverings, and we got social distancing, and we got washing our hands. Uh, and everyone has to do it all of the time. Um, because that, that really does protect ourselves right. and each other from the spread that can happen even if you feel 100% okay and you look great, you still could pass on the virus. Yeah, the, see, the, mask, the mask thing is like controversial right now because we get so much mis, misfed information based on you don't have to wear a mask. You should wear a mask. You shouldn't. This doctor says it doesn't matter. This doctor says it does matter. So it's like... We need to get some clarity on because there's a lot of misunderstanding in the community with I don't have to wear a mask. We should wear a mask if you want to prevent it. That's what you're saying, right? Now, now let's let's delve deeper into that. Doctor, this is um, fighting a pandemic is really a behavioral solution because there is no vaccine. And what you've talked about are independent behaviors of people taking this serious to varying degrees. And so this is what it's going to take to cut the numbers, cut the spread. And that's what we hope to do, Snoop, right. with this podcast, is help people really get it. Right. That it depends on each one of us and us collectively in our behaviors. So, so, Snoop, why do you think that so many people are opposed to wearing face masks? And what would you tell our residents and those in the county that are resistant to wearing face masks in public at this point? I think in the beginning, it wasn't explained to us. It just was like, here, wear a mask. And then it was certain, you know, people saying it wasn't going to stop it. If you wore a mask, it was going to stop it. So it was a lot of controversy. But now that we're getting real facts on what it is and how it can prevent it and keep the numbers down low, it's a must to wear a mask. It's a must to, to be in public with the mask on for yourself and for others around you. So now that we understand and we have that information, we can push that information and we can do, you know, right by the information, by being an example, by leading by example. I came in today with my mask on to lead by example to show that I'm following protocol because I really want to find a way to better this. And the best way to do it is by leading by example. Now, Snoop, following that up, you know, COVID-19 has really disrupted everyone's day to day activities. No gyms. A lot of people can't work. Um, and it's really created anxiety and restlessness in the community. What have you heard from people about life now in this COVID-19 era? Uh, a lot of stress about losing jobs and not, you know, having the proper education for their kids. And now they have to become parents and school teachers. And a lot of them really wasn't prepared for that. Um, just the opportunity to, to get back out and to try to achieve and to try to do things. Kids that can't finish their, you know, college careers off. It's just a lot of negative energy, but my suggestion is mental health is always key to have great conversations and find people that can help you find ways to deal with the issues. You know, and a lot of us can't afford therapists and afford psychiatrists, but 
a conversation with somebody that you know may be just as healthy as going to meet with somebody that you can pay to get that same information as far as releasing that mental health issue that you have. Okay, so, so doctor, you know, in the beginning, it, behavioral, the behavior of people would have stopped this pandemic if everyone had stayed inside and away when we had to stay at home. I believe that. Uh, in the city of Inglewood, we let our employees stay home for two months. And if everybody had stayed home, we probably wouldn't be where we are today. So now we depend upon testing and the change of behaviors. So when it comes to testing, what's the difference between a COVID-19 swab test and an antibody test? I know that I hate the swab test. Because That's makes, the one where they stick that thing? cry. When they stick that thing up here? Absolutely. No, they're not doing that. I got to go <laughs> mouth, mouth, back of the mouth. We good. So <laughs> tell us about the difference. Sure. Why, why yeah. do some swab the mouth? Yep. Some put it in the nasal cavity. Oh, man, no. And then antibody testing is done by a blood draw. So could yeah. you explain those? <laughs> yeah, those are those are, are really important issues around testing. Um, and there are there's, you know, there's lots of new news around testing as well. But um, the testing that sort of takes a swab, it used to be, you know, a couple of swabs really from your mouth, way down, around your cheeks. Nose used to be all the way up. I will say right now, um, all of that swabbing has gotten a lot easier and you actually can, we have some pretty sophisticated tests that mean you don't have to go all the way up your nose. You can actually take it from, you know, parts of the nose that are much closer. People okay. can swab themselves, swab their own cheeks. But those tests are what we call a PCR molecular test uh, for detecting the virus. It's really used to make, to know right now if somebody in fact has the virus within their body. Uh, and we use that, you know, for, to clinically decide if somebody's infected yeah. uh, and then what needs to happen if they're infected. It's really important, particularly for people who are sick, to know, am I sick with COVID-19 or do I have something else? Um, the other kind of test that you see a lot around now is, is what we call the antibody test. Uh, it's a serology test and it's where they take some mm -hmm. blood. It does something very different. So don't get mixed up when people like tell you like, oh, that antibody test, that's going to tell you if you got the infection. No, what that test tells you is if you ever had the infection. Mm. It doesn't mm. really tell you what's going on in your body now. You could have the infection now, but the serology test doesn't differentiate. What it's been good for is telling us uh, how many people in L.A. County, for example, because, may have already uh, seen this virus. Right. Uh, they're not sick today and they're not probably infected today, but we need to know like what proportion of people here in LA County have already been infected uh, with COVID-19. Um, the problem with the serology test, and it's with everything we do is, you know, there's new science all the time. So it's looking more and more like people, and this gets back to your question earlier, Snoop, like, are you immune? It's looking more and more like people develop a lot of antibodies uh, to COVID-19 right after they've been sick and infected. But then it looks like it really drops off. And uh, so we were puzzled because we've done some antibody testing. And the first time we did it, we had about 4% of people were positive. And the second time we did it, we had like less than 2% of people were positive. And we we're like, well, we have more spread. We have more people sick. We know that. But if what you're testing is antibodies that are declining over time, uh, then it makes sense. Because all the people who were infected early on may on an antibody test end up now showing up as negative when in fact they were infected, but they no longer have those antibodies. That's why we caution everyone, like if those antibodies are disappearing over time, 
Just because you got sick and you were positive once doesn't mean you can't get sick again. And it doesn't mean that if you get sick or you get infected, you're not going to infect others. Well, uh, felt, but they're I two felt, very different tests. I felt like I had it like last year, like December, January. Like a lot of people got real sick around me. We all were sick and it wasn't like a, a flu. It was a different kind of sick. And it, we couldn't bounce back. And then all of a sudden we got back on our feet. But they didn't have that name out there at the time, COVID-19. So me and my team felt like we had already had it. Is that, is that a case? That's totally possible. I mean, there was, you know, remember, like, we actually know for a fact that this virus was circulating in the United States mm -hmm. in December and in January. Right. We just don't know how much and we don't know exactly where. But some places we've actually, you know, in the country have actually already figured that out. Uh, and I would say for sure, you know, from our public health perspective, mm -hmm. we are certain uh, that this virus was in L.A. County in January. Uh, and we hear a lot of stories of people who got sick. Uh, early in January, uh, even later in January. And it was a different kind of sick. It wasn't like, yeah. like a regular Like flu. a flu. Yeah, it something. was different. It had a different kind of like, you couldn't smell, your whole body was weak. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, it's a telltale sign like uh, of this virus, the sort of you, you can't smell, you lose your sense of smell, you use, use your, lose your sense of taste. Mm -hmm. So I would say for people who experience that, it's very likely like back in January, February, uh, before we recognized how much COVID-19 might be here. And we're really concentrating. Remember, so far back, but, you know, we were at that point thinking this was a virus in China. Mm -hmm. Now, now um, one of the things that uh, you were talking to me about, because now that the horse is out of the barn, uh, people didn't self-isolate long enough. So testing uh, preventive behaviors until or if a vaccine is developed. Um, so you were talking about tests. How long does it take on the average to get a test result? And you talked about one of the big keys is a more inexpensive, rapid test. Yeah. Um, so right now, you know, depends on what lab uh, your specimen went to, how long it's going to take for you to get your results. Uh, I will say, you know, the best the best possibility is to get your results within 24 hours. Because again, you know, you're going to have to stay home until you get those test results. And if you're positive. We want to move in right away, figure out who your close contacts were, get everybody to stop circulating. Uh, but I would say the average length of time, and again, the average means like people have lots of different experiences. Right now in LA County is about 48 hours to 72 hours. Um, and But you will always hear about people who will say, you know, I got my test, I waited seven days. And that is certainly still happening. Uh, we really work hard to encourage labs that if you're overwhelmed, then it's going to take you seven days you should send people to a different lab because mm -hmm. no one should be waiting seven days for a test result. It's a lot of anxiety and it also means it's harder for us to contact trace if people are waiting a long time. But I did talk to you earlier because when people say, you know, like, oh, you know, we're, we're going to be in a lot of trouble until we get to a vaccine. And the truth is we all need to get to a vaccine. And I, I applaud all those researchers and scientists that are working so hard to get us a safe vaccine. Uh, but in the meantime, I think there's other places where there's promise. One is like what we call like therapeutic medicines. These are medicines that you get to take if you get sick. And if we could find a lot of really good therapeutics, and they, they could be different kinds uh, that help people not go to the hospital. Like you could take it right away when you start, when you test positive, you start getting your symptoms. And it really makes it so that you end up with much milder illness. That would really save lives. Ginger, lemon, 
honey. <laughs> you understand <laughs> me, citrus? No, I mean, that's what I do. I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm on it like I want it. And I, I watch certain things and certain people that give information. And if you research, you'll find. And a lot of times that information is out there. We just don't know where to get it from. So I think, thank you for giving us a lot of this information because we are lost yeah. because we don't know who to believe. Yeah. Sure. So for you giving us real information, this is beautiful. I appreciate yeah. that. So, so, yeah. so and I think, I mean, the thing about this testing is, like there's another kind of test that we, we don't talk a lot about right now. It's, it's gotten less approval from the federal government, but it's called an antigen test. They could use that for like what I call a rapid result test. And if you could make that test be really inexpensive, um, what it would allow you to do is you could have a little kit at your house, you could have a little strip, you could, for example, maybe you put a little saliva in a test tube, then you stick in that strip. In 15 minutes, that strip says you're positive or you're negative. Mm. And then you know, like, I'm positive, I can't go out for 10 days. I'm negative, I'm good to go today. The good thing about those tests is that if they're cheap enough and you could do it at your house, you could take it every day. Uh, and that's a game changer for us because wow. that means that people would know right away whether they were infected. And mm -hmm. if you took it every day, uh, you would, and you didn't, you know, you would catch what we call sort of the, the problem with the negative test, which is you're only negative the day you take that test. But if you could take the test every day, right. then you're negative every day. Um, so, so when we get to that, that gives us a whole nother strategy uh, for helping us on our recovery journey without creating a lot of risk. So, so Doctor, let's move on to what the future holds. You know, provided this is not an extinction-level event, such as what killed the dinosaurs off. Uh, let's let's talk about herd immunity. What that means if all of this is not successful, if there is no vaccine, if we're not able to get people to change their behaviors so that the infection level is stemmed. What is herd immunity? Herd immunity means that enough people uh, have developed antibodies to this particular virus. So it's very specific to this virus that when they see the virus again, their body will either fight it off immediately. You'll never actually, you'll never penetrate or you'll get a much quicker response and you'll not have as much illness. Uh, but herd immunity really means that a lot of people are gonna be immune to the devastating effects of COVID-19. You can get it two ways. Uh, one way is the vaccine, uh, which then, you know, that's what the vaccine does, is it, it tells your body that you've already seen this virus, uh, so your body has a, very, has a lot of antibodies to fight against it. Uh, the second way is for enough people to get infected uh, that you know, we, we, we're not gonna really pass it on efficiently but when I say enough people have to get infected, like you're talking like 60, 70, 80% of people mm -hmm. uh, have to have that immunity. Uh, and as we noted earlier, we're not really clear how long you have that immunity after you get COVID-19. And, and see, that's the question because, you know, flus morph and, and they come back with a different strain. Mm. Uh, they mutate. And so do we know whether this virus will mutate I mean, this virus can mutate, and, uh, and it, it, it has mutated. It's just, uh, you know, because we see different genetic material coming from different parts of the world. Uh, what we haven't seen is that mutation really change the way this virus is interacting with human beings. Um, but, you know, this, these are all, these are such good questions, and this is what scientists really need to help us get 
as you noted, the right answers, good answers, truthful answers, um, so that we can actually talk with more certainty. What does it mean if I've been infected? What is immunity going to look like? Is this going to be more like the flu that every year we're going to have to get vaccinated again because mm -hmm. we're going to have slight changes mm -hmm. and we're going to need to mount, have our bodies, you know, get an additional protection every year. Uh, we're already thinking like whenever the vaccine comes, you're going to probably need two vaccinations. You know, it's going to be a, a, a two part series. Uh, again, lots of uncertainty still. Um, but, you know, every day the scientists help us learn more about this virus. I, I will say with the tools we have today, um, there's a lot we could do to actually slow the spread. So, like, let's not wait for everybody to get really sick and get that immunity. That doesn't, that's not a sensible strategy from my perspective. Like, mm -hmm. that, that's a gamble. Because some people who get it, they end up getting really sick and they end up dying. Mm -hmm. So let's not gamble. Uh, let's play it safe. Uh, let's take personal responsibility. And I also want to talk about like corporate responsibility. Because, you know, we, the most spread that happens is probably happening at workplaces. Mm -hmm. uh, so, and let's, uh, let's acknowledge that that's the reality. A lot of people are getting infected, or and certainly in the past were getting infected at their jobs. This is particularly true for all those essential workers. You know, we all went home in March. As you said, you were able to allow your employees to go telework. Now, now a lot of, of people thing, didn't. Yeah, but one of the big things we did during that two months was we took measures in the workplace. We brought air yeah. scrubbers into all of the workplaces that had HEPA filters uh, small enough to trap the virus. We put circles on the floor in the lobby where people have to stand. Only three people can get an elevator. Everyone coming into the workplace yeah. has to have their temperature checked and they get a little colored dot. Yeah, you need to make that a for blueprint that. that you pass on every city because basically that didn't happen everywhere. It probably happened at your office, but it didn't happen everywhere. Yeah. So we need to put that blueprint yeah. out so they can understand this is ways to prevent it. We did yeah. it in Inglewood, it worked. How about you guys try it in your city? Yeah, and so I want to say, like, it's the law here, actually. Uh, but people, it tells you law. what you have to do in your business. <laughs> no, but like your business, it, it, you have to do these things. So the sad part of this, just like you noted, is that some people aren't doing it. That's why I say corporate responsibility, business responsibility. Well, we believe in if someone's doing it right yep. and giving us a great example, it's easy to follow that. Yep. So that's what I'm saying in so many words, like the the blueprint that he just laid down, what he did at his office with his employees and the space and all of that, should be given to other corporations and other corporate offices so they can know, okay, well I may law I may be lost. I don't know what, what to, to do. do. Well take this for example. The mayor yeah. figured it out. Yeah. You see you see the mask on the Camera yeah. people, we gave yeah. those to every employee. Yeah, well, they figured and it I, out too what the mask said. And, and, and they have to wear them. Right, and they have to wear I knew it would. And <laughs> I think lots of people are doing that. We have a checklist for businesses on our website. Uh, our inspectors go around and they give that information to every business that we go and visit. And, you know, we visited over 20,000 businesses just wow. in the last few weeks, just trying to make sure, like, they, just like you said, Snoop, like, that you know what you need to do. Like people can't do something if they don't know what they need to do. We need an information hotline yeah. for what to do, how to prevent it, questions yeah. that are like, today is a great day because a lot of questions were answered based off of our conversation. A lot of these questions float around and we don't have no reliable source to give us information to believe in or to move forward with. Now Snoop, I do have to tell you this, uh, the doctor's office has a comprehensive 
memo they put out most every day of the week about all the things we've talked about here. But here's the problem. People don't go to the website. Yeah. Uh, the, they don't listen to the briefings because they can get to be long. And, right. and that's why having it digestible in a format like this will let people know that you can go to the to the county's website to get all this information. And, and, and I want to finish this with, so what are your feelings on when or if an effective vaccine will be developed and its overall worth given that sometimes viruses mutate? Yeah, I, I think a vaccine is, is gonna be huge and it's gonna help all of us. And, uh, and again, I, I wanna also be very respectful and acknowledge like we have a history in this country, particularly among people of color, of like testing. Making uh, us test dummies. That's right. So Speak on it. That's right. Because we ain't going first on this exactly. vaccine thing. Let me let you know that off the top. I ain't going yeah. first. That's right. And and so, like, I, I think we have to, like, I tell people, like, you, you can't pretend these things didn't happen. Tuskegee. That's right. Tuskegee is huge. I come from Puerto Rico. I got my history together, yeah. man. Yeah, I see that. Yeah. And Puerto, I come from Puerto Rico, and we have a, a long history there of having the pharmaceutical companies uh, test birth control pills on, on women in Puerto Rico. So... Like many of us come from these places where we have lived through examples of being test skinnies uh, without protections. Right. Uh, so I want to say like the first thing we have to do starting now is start talking to people in communities about what they're going to need to, uh, to what kind of information they're going to need to have to feel safe about right. getting vaccinated. And then we got to make sure that that information is out there. I tell people like no cutting corners when you develop a vaccine um, because it doesn't work. Because the vaccine doesn't work if people don't feel like they could trust it and then get vaccinated. The scientists, they have a lot of skills. They don't know everything about everything, but they know a lot about this. Yes. Uh, mm -hmm. And we have to, we have to like actually be able to like get good information from the scientists. And I think with good information, then people make good decisions. I think one of the problems, and, and you said it really well, I think, Snoop, was that it's hard for people to figure out what's good information right now. And uh, we're not doing such a good job. I, I was gonna say this like from ourselves, like as public health people, making sure people have the kind of information they need to make good decisions. Like we're not, we're not, we, don't, we don't make decisions for other people. Everyone gets to make their own decisions. Right. But people have to have really good information. The same information I have, you gotta have. Um, so that, you know, then, then you and I can like talk about it. Um, there should be no secret. We put all of our data on our website. Everything we know about all, where the virus is. What is the is. website for those that's uh, out there? We're, we're going to put it on the I screen. just want to know right now. Yeah. I just, I want to know. The yeah. LA County of Public, uh, Department of Public Health. Okay, yeah. jot that down. Hello. Yeah. And, and, and it's publichealth.lacounty.gov. Yeah, speak Publichealth.lacounty.gov. Now. But we're going to put it and, on. Yeah, that, that there, but it don't sound like. That, that don't sound like that. It just look like that. That sound like that. Snoop, we're going to put it on the screen after this. <laughs> I want broadcast. sound, though, man. I'm in the sound. I'm, I'm a musician. I need okay. to hear Okay, I got you. <laughs> well, listen, you guys, this has been a very enlightening conversation. And I want to thank our guests, Dr. Uh, Ferrer, Dr. Barbara Ferrer, for taking the time to have this important conversation with not just the English community, but with the country, because this is relevant. Yes. for the country yes and i and i'd also like to thank our gracious opinionated host snoop dogg for opening this space for our conversation as well mi casa uh, su casa man all right my man <laughs> and so so for additional information as i said everybody look at what scrolls on the screen there you go on the cryon and it'll tell you where to go 
to get updated information on a daily basis. Thank you, Snoop. Thank you, Doctor. Appreciate it. Thank you, it. Mayor. Thank you, Snoop. Thank you so much, Doctor.